Hi everyone, thanks for stopping by our table of disappointment. This is How They Got Away, the show where we discuss the unsatisfying endings to your favorite unsolved or unpunished true crime and corporate greed stories. I'm your host today, Kelsey, with my co-host, Annalise, and our just one guest today, and Anna. Stephanie has left us, so it is just us for the day. She went to spend time with her family. God, who would do that? Never fear, though, she will return. Today, we will be taking a look at the story of Jane Marie Pritchard, born in 1958. I couldn't find the birthday. Maybe it's just because there weren't as many people writing that stuff down, but people would only say, like, oh, she's 28 in all newspapers. So I have no idea what star sign she is. But I'm feeling Virgo. I'm just, I have no evidence for this, but I'm feeling Virgo. To parents Audrey and Walter Pritchard, she grew up with older brothers Keith and Greg and younger sister Beth. When she was 10 years old, her family moved from Silver Spring to a farm in Barnesville, Maryland, and her parents still reside there to this day. The family raised cows and horses on the 30-acre farm, and Jane, or Janie, as the family would call her, was always growing plants and shrubs, having inherited her mother's knack with plants. Horse girl confirmed. I'm also going to send you guys the photo. Okay. <laughs> she was not, I think this is like her confirmation gown. Aww. Yeah, for like a. The church. Yeah, I'm not, I don't remember which denomination does that, if it's Catholics, Christians, or both, but like, it's a religious thing. Yeah. But she looks so nice. She just looks so nice. And the little flower crown. She's got an, uh, such a nice smile. I feel like that had to be her touch, like the flower crown. (laughs) We love it. (laughs) In a 2015 article, the Delaware News Journal interviewed her brother Keith, who she was particularly close with, despite him being three years older. He recalls that his sister was, quote, always an outdoor person, unquote, and that she grew up with a love of nature and horses. She's a horse girl! (laughs) Maybe a little bit. I like... From what I could tell, they had always been, she and her brother had always been close, which is, I shouldn't say weird, because sub-siblings are close, but three-year age difference, like, that's prime, we hate each other age gap, I feel like. That, my, my brother and I are three years apart. Yeah, my sisters and I are about two and a half to three years apart, and the only one we don't really like is the older sister, but that's because she doesn't really talk to us, and she's like, she keeps to herself. And she doesn't really connect with us. But the three of us are just like, we hold hands. So it's a hit or miss. The tea. That is some sibling drama over there. I'd say my brother and I are chill. When we were younger, we were not chill. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, that's the thing. From what I could tell, they had always been that close. I feel like the three-year age gap is like, we're not close when we're young. But we like we're super close when we're older. But they seem to have always been that close, which is very sweet, very nice. Valedictorian of her high school class in 1976, because of course she was. Go queen. Such a smart, intelligent girl. (laughs) I have no real evidence of her being a Virgo, but I'm getting Virgo vibes. Virgo's a good sign, you know? (laughs) It's a good sign. 
Jane was very studious. I mean, of course, she's valedictorian. And she chose to pursue a master's in botany at the University of Maryland. Because she's a plant girl. Yes, she's a plant girl. Of course she's going to pursue a master's in botany. She expected to complete her master's in 1987 and had plans to become an environmental lawyer. Get it, queen. Get it. So I think her plan after this was to go to law school after her master's was done. Snaps. She's like, go off, besties. She was living in a small house, which some sources described as a cottage. I don't really know what the like distinction there is, but maybe people saw the house and were like, this is a cottage. I'm picturing like a small one bedroom because people had those houses back then. They weren't all just replaced by apartments. And there's, it's Jane. So there's flowers everywhere. The flower boxes are thriving. There's a garden in the front. Like this is what I'm picturing. To make me think why they used the word cottage. Uh, cottage core began with her. I'm also envisioning like a pie cooling on the windowsill. Just and like the birds are everywhere. There's like soft twittering in the background. It's very idealistic how I'm imagining this. Jane might have been a Disney princess, unconfirmed. In that dress, in that hair piece, a Disney princess. <laughs> A little bit. She had some Disney princess energy. This cottage was in Clarksburg, Maryland, a small suburb in Washington, D.C. area. And she worked at the prominent botanical garden, Brookside Gardens, in Montgomery County, Maryland. So she's, she's working at a botanical garden. She's working on her thesis. She has a cottage. She's living it. What year is this at that point? Obviously, some of this stuff is happening over the course of several years. So it's somewhere in the 19... 19- 84 to 85 range. Got it. Jane was adventurous and independent, taking a solo co- cross-country trip after completing her bachelor's in, 19- in her 1966 Datsun 2000, a car that she loved and that her family still has just somewhere. <laughs> Jane strikes me as a person who loved life and found freedom in her independence. I, I love her. I love her. And this is going to make me sad. She sounds so great. Like, I want to be her friend. And we can't be friends because she died 36 years ago. Spoilers. Okay, but, okay, imagine, okay, if she was able to live out her full life, her as, like, an older, maybe, like, a grandmother in her little cottage. Ugh. Honestly, she, if she had lived, I think she would have reminded me of my grandmother because my grandmother has a garden everywhere she goes. She's very kind of like that hippie vibe, very pro-environment. I could see Jane if she'd done, gone through with her dreams, become an environmental lawyer. I want her and Al Gore to have just been really tight. <laughs> That's just what I want. Sadly, it didn't happen. Honestly, we would have an environment if Jane had lived. She would have saved the environment. Like, let's be honest. Her thesis concentrated on a ground vine known as the American hog peanut and now and how its leaves would turn to always face the sun, even under tall oak trees, kind of like how sunflowers do it, but even under like the heavy tree cover of like a forest. Uh, And I'm going to share a picture of the American hog peanut plant because I feel that Jane would want us to know what plant we're talking about here because, you know, she's that kind of person. It's kind of a cute little plant. I sent it twice, but there it is. 
plant awareness. The little purple flowers. Oh, it is very cute. Oh, imagine drying those flowers in her cottage. She has dried flowers. I didn't find any, like, source that said she dried flowers in books, but now I can't not picture that. I mean, if you're a botanist and you're studying this stuff, I gotta imagine you got some dried flowers. Of course. As a result, she had been to the Blackbird State Forest in Newcastle, Delaware, several times over the past three years, as this was an area where this plant grew in abundance. Park goers would sometimes see her set up just off the dirt access road, electronic equipment stretching 30 yards into the forest, studiously observing the local flora. Forest manager John C. Bennett had seen dozens of students come and go from the forest for their research in his 17 years there. He had this to say about Jane, quote, she was very dedicated and enthusiastic about her work. If I'd let her, she'd have spent days telling me about her work, end quote. She's just so great. Like, I can just, like, you you go, hey, Jane, how's it going? And she'll be like, oh, I found this new plant. And then proceed to spend the next three hours telling you every single thing there has ever been to know about this plant. I can just, I picture it. I see it. You would vibe so hard with her. Like, at the community garden, she's there and she's like, it's like the lady at the community garden who helped you out. It is. Oh, where? Oh, man, she would be at the community gardens. She doesn't need to be at the community gardens because she has her own garden at home. But she just goes just to see what other people are growing and for the community aspect of it. Oh, where is she? Like, I want to go mushroom foraging with Jane and I can't. The morning of September 20th, 1986 was no different. Summer was coming to a close and so Jane needed to gather the rest of the year's data for her thesis. It was reported that she'd stayed at a friend's house that night and made the 115-mile journey to the park in the morning. I found no mention of a boyfriend, so I don't know if this was just like a friend or like a friend. But that's just uh, just something to keep in mind. Jane arrived at the park at about 7 a.m., which means she had to get up at like 5 in the morning. On a, it was, this was a Saturday, by the way, so she got up at like 5 in the morning on a Saturday to drive 115 miles to a park to look at plants all day. And Jeez. that was the happiest she'd ever, like that was something she generally enjoyed doing out of her life. She also feels like an early bird. She, you know what? I hadn't thought of it until you said it, but she kind of does. Like I see her going to bed at like 8.30 at the latest. <laughs> we were making so many assumptions about her, but all positive. I think it's she's like, hardworking, an early bird has her cute little cottage, willing to help and talk to people. Okay, but she grew up on a farm. She probably is an early bird. That's fair. Yeah, if not naturally, then has been trained into it. Uh, So she got there at about 7 a.m. to document the changes in position of the leaves on hog peanut vines throughout the day. She parked her blue and white 1980 Chevrolet Blazer. She'd gotten a different car at this point on the side of the dirt access road, like usual, and began her observations like she had done so many times before. Her minute-to-minute data recording stopped shortly before 10 a.m. Around 5.30 p.m., a New Jersey couple who were camping in the park were taking an early evening stroll, 
and about 20 feet off the trail, they discovered Jane's partially disrobed body lying just a few yards from her equipment with a gunshot wound in the back. Autopsy would later reveal her cause of death was blood loss from gunshot wounds to the left shoulder and neck. She was 28. Ooh. Oh my god. Do we know... Do we know if that would have been, like, a quick death, or did she bleed out for a while? I don't know. By the sound of it, she might have bled out for a while, and that's so sad. Now, when you hear any mention of the body being in a state of disrobe, there's a question. I did look, but could not find what partially undressed meant. None of the sources I found specified. I don't know if that meant like her shirt or her pants or both. I have no idea. I also could not find any information about whether or not a rape kit was run, but I don't think so. Or if one was, it didn't yield any evidence. The only thing I could find about it is that there was, quote, no conclusive evidence, unquote, that she had been sexually assaulted. Okay. Could could they have thought that Maybe she resisted and during part of her resistance, like if you're wearing a jacket, a jacket can easily come off. So just rope can be really vague. Exactly. I, I don't know exactly what that means. What kills me about this is that she was almost done with her degree program. She was gathering the last pieces of data that she needed for the year. And also you remember she was planning to be finished with this degree program in 1987. So likely the spring of the next year. So this probably would have been one of her last trips to the park and then the winter would have been spent preparing her thesis to present you know what else gets me she was shot with shotgun pellets and bled to death and one can only hope that the injury to her neck severed her carotid arteries because the alternative is that she laid there on the forest floor and died slowly if it had struck the carotid artery it would have been a matter of minutes If it hadn't, it could have been a lot longer than that. And I couldn't find anything that specified. I'm not even sure if they could be, if they were able to ascertain that at the time. And sorry, so this is a Saturday and it was 9 a.m. ish that they think that something happened. Her, she was making observations in her data recorder every minute. Those stopped a a little bit before 10 a.m. And based on autopsy results, they think that she died around 10.30, or at least was injured at 10.30-ish. And there's no one walking, was she just like in a a not super populated area when this happened, or? I am actually going to talk a little bit about what kind of people might have been in the forest this day. We will get into that, but that's a very good question. Who the hell is in the forest at this hour? Who is here? Shot in the back also says to me one of two possible scenarios. Like Annalise was mentioning earlier, either somebody attacked her and began attempting to disrobe her, she tried to run away from them and got shot in the process, or someone simply came up behind her, shot her, and then began to disrobe her body, but was maybe interrupted. Those are the only two I could really think of that make sense. Either way, terrifying. Either way, terrifying. Now, hunting was allowed in Blackbird State Forest. Not everywhere. Like, 
there were areas that were still open to the public for trail walking and things like that, but hunting was happening in the area. And in fact, it was opening day of squirrel hunting season, and the gunshots were found to be from a shotgun, which are commonly used for squirrel hunting. Lieutenant Frederick M. Calhoun Jr., public information officer for Newcastle County, would say that the forest was, quote, very active with hunters, unquote. However, accidental shooting was quickly ruled out due to her body's state of undress. So I think that, although I couldn't find specifics about what undress meant, I believe the police thought it was due to somebody else, not like, you know, just disrupted from running or things like that. What this does say to me, though, is that there were likely several potential witnesses in the forest that day, which leads me to believe that this was an attack of opportunity. No one who's planning this out is going to pick a day with such heavy traffic. That just doesn't make sense. And it also makes me wonder if they watched her from a distance for some time before approaching her that day to ensure that they wouldn't be seen. Creepy. Terrifying. Police would interview over 300 people for information on this case. For how many potential witnesses there were in the forest that day, there would be only one person to even claim to have seen Jane that day. And that is insane to me. How big is this park? It's a few dozen square miles at least. She, what she would do is that she would drive up the dirt access road that kind of leads into around the middle of it and then set up her equipment a little ways off of that road. The couple that discovered her body was following a trail that was just part of the forest. I don't think they were on the access road. I think they were on like a woodland trail and then saw her about 20 feet off of that trail. So she wasn't on a trail. She was in the woods looking at plants, but she wasn't that far in the woods to like not have been seen by people and people had seen her do this before like uh, uh, on during other trips people had noticed her do this so the fact that nobody else saw anything of use kind of whack a man came forward two days later claiming to have seen jane that morning and that he had seen another hunter in the area he described the man as a caucasian male with a beard approximately 5'9 to 5'10, medium build, wearing a brown jacket and blue jeans. He was able to provide this description to a sketch artist. Here is that sketch. I have feelings about this sketch. I'm scared. Is it like a bad, we're, we're not seeing it yet. Is it a bad sketch? It is a bad sketch. Why is his R so far apart? No, oh God, he looks like, oh my God. He looks like um Shane from The Watcher. No. No! He does! He does! I was gonna say that! He looks like an alien that put on a mask. He looks like Shane Madej. Here's a picture of Shane Madej because I saw this sketch and I immediately thought, that's Shane Madej. It can't have been Shane Madej. Oh my god, it kind of is. It kind of is! It kind of is! That looks like Shane in a hat. I was like, how how bad could it pop? Shane, you wouldn't. Shane, how could you do this? Oh, I think I said, okay, it's not a bad sketch, but here's the thing, it's a freaky sketch, is what I should should have said. I feel like they all look a little freaky, because they, 
Yeah, they uh, always emphasize features that are particularly of note so that you think to yourself, oh, I know a person whose eyes are weirdly far apart. That's not me saying that Shane's eyes are weirdly far apart because I'm saying he looks like this. <laughs> but the res- like the face shape and the beard. It's, a, it's like, yeah, it's like weirdly uncanny. It's so weird. The eyes look dead. The culprit is like a Walmart brand version of him. <laughs> the Shane Madey we have at home. I'm not saying that Shane Madey murdered a woman four months after he was born because I looked it up because I was so freaked out by this. I was like, wait a minute, was Shane even born? <laughs> I was like, was Shane even born when this sketch was made? He was. He was born in May of this year. I was going to go like, he's kind of, he's a little too young for that. Just like a weird dink that they look so similar. The more police spoke with this hunter, the more suspicious they would become. Michael P. Lloyd, 27, was working as a janitor for Stewart Pharmaceuticals near Newark. They thought that his particularly specific descriptions of Jane's clothes, equipment, and vehicle were a little too specific. Police also noted several inconsistencies in his alibi, although I couldn't find what those were. Some killers will also try to insert themselves into the investigation of their crimes. So I believe that is what police thought was happening by this point. I think they thought that the killer had given a description just to be involved in the investigation. Which is like, they should be. They should be suspicious of just about anyone who has information. Yes, but also... It doesn't seem like they had a whole lot of other leads at this point. I have to wonder if maybe if they had had more leads, if they would have looked this closely at this person. Probably not. In October, one month after Jane's murder, Michael was arrested and charged with first-degree murder and possession of a deadly weapon during the commission of a felony. He did admit to to being in the woods with a shotgun that day, so that's a deadly weapon. But he, it was also a hunting area, so wasn't that okay, or am I confusing things? Well, not if you murder a person with it. Well, yeah, but they they aren't charging him with murder, they're charging him for having a weapon that... No, no, that's an auxiliary charge. That's like an, a, a charge in addition to this other charge. So they're charging him with first-degree murder, and then just to make sure that they get, that the charges stick, they're adding also... And you had a deadly weapon while you were doing it. Got it. I missed, my brain missed the first degree murder charge. So I was very confused about why he was being taken in for having a weapon. We just move right past first degree murder. We don't have to worry about that one. (laughs) Well, the way you're leading up to it, my brain just went, anyway. Now, forensic scientists had combed the scene and were able to find a single hair that did not belong to Jane. This would be the only piece of forensic evidence that was found, other than the gunshot wound being a shotgun. And they didn't even get anything off of the shotgun pellets they pulled from Jane's body. That is insane, especially since Jane's state of undress indicates some kind of physical altercation, either before or after her injury. This hair was small, and it was actually found to be a pubic hair, which has implications... But remember that beard and armpit hair are also technically pubic hairs. So I don't know if it necessarily was from the pubic region. Okay. Noted. Noted. Regardless, it was enough to provide a sample of some DNA. 
Now here's the thing about hair and DNA. Most people probably assume that any hair can be used to generate a DNA profile. But until very recently, that was not the case. Before 2019, when researchers at the University of California, Santa Cruz, developed a method of DNA extraction from rootless hair, DNA could only be extracted from hair with a root or bulb still attached. Now we get to learn about hair, and this is definitely not just because I remember learning about this in my forensic science lab in college, and I really want to flex that info. Get it, get it. Flex, go on, girl. Go off. Your hair goes through three, technically four, stages of growth. Anagen, catagen, and telogen. During the anagen phase of your hair, your hair is growing from the follicle. It's increasing in length. It's growing out. The catagen phase is the transition phase where the hair follicle shrinks and the hair growth slows. And the telogen phase is where your hair just kind of vibes on your head, no longer growing, just it has reached optimal hair length. And then there's also the exogen phase, which is technically not a hair growth phase, but is still one of the phases of hair, where your old hair is shed off the scalp. Although the hair may come out on its own during the telogen phase as well, because there's very little follicle holding it in at that point. Why am I telling you about hair growth? To flex on my knowledge. But also, the hair follicle or bulb shrinks over the course of these phases. So the older the hair, the less a chance there is that there's viable DNA because the hair follicle is smaller. And hair that follows out on its own during the exogen or telogen phases will likely have little to no DNA evidence. This is a whole lot to say that the chances of this hair having viable DNA on it was very low unless it was ripped out during some kind of struggle. And then it would be surprising if there was only one hair during a struggle that was ripped out. Yeah, right? When I started on working on this episode, I did have a, cl- a forensic science lab, but uh, she didn't mention that there had been a new method of DNA extraction invented for rootless hair. I think because it was just so new at that point. So the more you know, now you can get DNA from rootless hair. But this is 1986. We've got a suspect. We've got some DNA. This should be an open and shut case. Detective James Hendricks, attached to the case, brought the sample to the lab in California personally. He was that sure about it. But DNA was so new then. In fact, 1986 was the year that they started doing DNA testing in criminal investigations, which is crazy. I was going to ask about that, whether or not the DNA testing would even be that good. (laughs) I knew you were going to ask about that because I was like, wait, when did they even start doing DNA? And then I looked it up and I was like, that's insane. Because in my brain, I'm like, yeah, because in my brain, I'm like, the 90s is when they started to do it. Like, or at least it started to get a little bit better. And the 2000s is when it really Mm -hmm. started. In August 1987, the charges against Michael for Jane's murder were dropped. As the DNA found at the crime scene did not match. He had been in jail for a year at this point for a crime that it turns out he didn't commit. They had nothing on him other than him being at the park at the same day and being a little bit weird during interviews. And they really don't have anything else. They had nothing. They had nothing at all. They described him during interviews as nervous but not emotional. 
which is like a weird way to describe a person. And also, if you were interrogating me for a murder, I would be pretty nervous. Michael lost his job and his apartment as a result of this and also a year of his life. So he went into jail at 27. I said 27, right? Yes, I did. 27. So he left 28, 29. Poor guy. Full year of his life, just gone. But his family stuck by his side the entire time and sent him letters throughout his prison stay. He also credited his uh, faith, which stuck by him as well, with getting him through that time. Michael said that after his release, he would never try to help an investigation ever again, which is kind of fair. Fair, fair. And like, I understand police looking into him, but they went super hardcore on someone that they were just like oh his facts are a little too factual yeah they really want like this one and what gets me is that they arrested him before the dna had even come back like i know it's new and i know that they were confident they were sure that this would match him that this would just be the icing on the cake but like nowadays no judge would okay an arrest warrant for someone whose dna had not been attached to the scene it's just it's just overall they had Nothing on him except for he's like, oh, yeah, I saw her and like this was her car and that's it. Like that is really just just someone who's observant. Like I get taking a closer look, but you had nothing additional after that. They did also say there had been some inconsistencies in his alibi, which I again don't really know quite what that meant. But, you know, if there are you if you are ever going to talk to the police about a crime you have got, even if you know for sure you're not involved, you have got to make sure that your alibi is water sealed, airtight, that flex seal tape that they put over those like screen doors that they put at the bottom of boats for those commercials. It has got to be tight. <laughs> because if it's not sealed, you boom. To be fair, it could also be the cops being like, you did this, right? Like, they kind of, like there are some interviews where they kind of gaslight into, into you thinking like, oh my god, maybe that did happen. So that could have like affected his alibi and that's what, because they did say he was more nervous. So when you're nervous, you're kind of more pr- prone to taking suggestions. So he's probably just like, did I, did I do that? I might have mayhaps and they probably just went like okay cool this guy like said it because we told him to so put him in the jail which is really fucked but uh i mean they could have done that murderer says what it's also hard with alibis because like just think about it if you had to describe everything you did like yesterday that is very hard to do and a lot of times you'd be like yeah i was at home alone there's no one to back you up if you're at home alone if you're walking through a park you can't, there's no, there's no one else to back you up to say for sure you were there. Especially if like, what are you doing at 10.31 a.m.? Me, 10.31? I was just, sl- well, that's a precise like weird time. <laughs> and he had been in the forest squirrel hunting that day. So like what, what alibi did he even have that like another hunter saw him? Like an introvert's nightmare. He was just trying to, like, have some nice alone time in the woods, killing squirrels. But, like, no. After Michael was ruled out, there were no new leads coming in, and the case went cold. Newcastle County Police Chief Colonel Elmer M. Setting announced the formation of a new cold case homicide squad in October of 2014. 
Jane's case is one of the cold cases they are looking at again with fresh eyes, but nothing has come of it, which at this point, they have several cold cases that they're looking at incongruent, so it's not like they're spending all this time just looking at Jane's case. But also, it's been almost 10 years, and there's been nothing, no new news. And that's the tough part about cold cases is that they've gone cold, so it's hard to dig things up that would be new because people might not remember. Really, the chances, especially in that kind of area of digging up new evidence, it's very hard. Whoever killed Jane Marie Pritchard continues to get away with it to this day. I think this was a complete attack of opportunity. I don't think this person knew her. And I thought it, I think it was just Jane was in the wrong place at the wrong time and ran across the wrong person. I think this was a hunter who saw Jane and approached her when there was no one else around, possibly having watched and waited for other hunters to leave the area. I I don't know if after if they just came up behind her and immediately shot her or if they tried to speak to her and try to get something out of her, I don't know. Or if they tried just straight up attacked her. But yeah, I think at this point, the person unless the person does a deathbed confession, or uh nowadays we have a lot of new evidence coming out with uh ancestral DNA, people entering their DNA and then them finding that per- the person who did it through them through as a relative i think those are probably the two most likely uh scenarios for us getting any closure on this case at this point because they were both it was in the middle of the woods and if someone else had seen something they would have spoken up by now and the only person who did speak up got put in jail for a year as a result so that would put me off saying anything for sure Jane Marie has gone without justice for 36 years. And that's pretty disappointing. That's pretty goddamn disappointing. <laughs> it's extremely disappointing, yes. <laughs> and her parents are still around, which is... Parents still live in the same farm that Jane grew up in. They still have her old car from when she was in college. I get the sense that they haven't let go of Jane. And I don't think they will. And, like, what parent would also... A parent outliving a child is just so heartbreaking. It's so, imagine getting that call. You're, maybe they'd spoken to her, you know, that week or something. I'm sure she seems like the kind of person who would have like kept in pretty constant contact with her parents. This is 1986. She's not texting her mom every five minutes, like some people these days, me. (laughs) But she probably called her mom pretty regularly, I would think. And you know, maybe they'd spoken to her recently and then the next, you know, communication they get is that uh, their daughter died in Delaware, of all places, and that she never got to finish her master's degree. Yeah, considering how hard she was working on it. I think they should give her a posthumous master's degree. I don't know if they do that, but I think they should. I think she deserves that master's degree. I just think so much about what we lost. We could have an environment right now. I said that earlier, but it just gets to me. If she was alive, we'd have so many things. People would be more aware of climate change. Granted, uh, a lot of us are, but some are not. I look at politicians and I look away. But, you know. 
you know, she just, you know, who's to say? Maybe she would have lived a completely ordinary life and not done anything crazy with it. But I just, I don't see that happening with Jane. She seems like the kind of person who wouldn't be satisfied living an ordinary, quiet life, you know? Like, quiet in some ways. Like, I see her in that cottage. And also, it, it was her right to have an ordinary life if she wanted it. Yeah, it was her life. And she, and some dick in the woods decided to take that away from her for what? Yeah, needlessly. It's so dumb. I don't think this was an accidental shooting. I could maybe see, like, you shoot someone by accident and then you realize you shot someone by accident and then maybe you run over and, like, try to, like, pull the shirt down to, like, see the wound. Maybe that could maybe explain the disrobing. The two shots is what... Well, I can't, I don't know if these are two shots or not. Because the thing that happens with shooting pellets is that there are a bunch of little balls that are put into a shell. And then when those are shot, they scatter. So injuries to her left shoulder and neck could have just been the radius of the pellets. It could have just been one shot. Right. Yeah, like basically whatever you shoot gets got yeah my brain didn't register how the pellets would have done if you shoot like a from what i understand if you shoot like a larger animal with pellets like it that they don't really do that because you have to then pick out all of the pellets out of the carcass and it's just not really worth it to a lot of hunters which is why shotgun pellets are really used for like small game but then also like the pellets will like rip a person apart if you shoot them But it could have been multiple shots. I didn't see anything that said specifically one shot or two shots. It just said injuries to the left shoulder and neck. So I assume that's like the boat, the same side from the like back. So it's maybe an accidental shooting and the person just didn't want to say anything because they were, they didn't want to get in trouble for it and had maybe tried to help her by like trying to pull the clothes down to like see the injury and that explains the disrobing. Again, I don't know like exactly what disrobing meant, if that meant her shirt or if that meant her pants or both. Because if it was her pants, that's that's a different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just don't know. And the fact that I know it was 1986 and I'm not saying they did a bad job combing the scene, but we also just have different protocols in place these days because we know more about forensic science. So maybe they just, there was evidence and they just didn't have the tools to get it at that time. But the fact that there was just like the one hair and that was it. I guess there was nothing to touch. It was not on her body, by the way. It was next to her body. I just think it's funny. They're like, out of all things, we found one hair. I think that's also the hard part about dealing with an outside environment is that so much can shift and change and move around and there's animals and there's just the elements that things can be swept away or brought in fairly easily that's exactly it that hair could have just come from a random hunter's beard who was like 30 yards away and it just got blown in from the wind by the time police got to it or it could have even been there before she got there or it could have been as a result of the altercation there's really no way to tell and at the time i did look this up because i know nowadays we are depending on the circumstances able to pull fingerprints from skin sometimes through like glue fumigation of like putting in aerosolized glue and like it it attaches to the oils on the skin from the prints they obviously did not have this technique at the time 
So even if there were prints on her body from whoever this was, they had no means of getting that. And there's not like, you know, there's not a table or a cup that someone could just touch. I'm sure the only thing he touched was his gun and he brought that with him. And I don't think he touched her equipment. I don't know why he would if it was an accident or if it was a murder. There's no real reason to touch her stuff. I don't know. I was pretty sure this wasn't an accident at the beginning. But now that I've thought about it, I just don't have enough information to say one way or the other. I think it really hinges on what undress means. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because undress can really tell you the intent of what was happening. Exactly. But regardless, we lost a... <laughs> we lost a real one. Really cool lady that maybe... I'm sh- I think she was cool... I mean, I don't know her, and it, a lot of this is supposition from, like, just pieces of what people said about her and just the vibe I get from her. But I think she was a cool person with flowers, and I think Annalise is right. I think she totally had books with, like, f- dried flowers as bookmarks. Yeah! And I just think about what she could have done for the environment and how we lost that, and now I think about nowadays where... It didn't, it was 75 degrees in November, and that's our new normal now. This one was a bit of a short one, but no less disappointing. I'm really sad that I never got to meet Jane Marie. She seems like a really cool person, like a cool garden grandma that just never got to be. I hope you all are as disappointed as I am. And that you learned something about hair forensic science. If you take away anything, take away hair forensic science. Alrighty. Thank you so much for coming to the table. I hope you're very disappointed. Push in your chairs. Put your dishes in the sink. See ya. Bye. Bye.